Today, we are in part three of this sermon series called The Justice Experience. And we started two weeks ago by uh, looking at God's heart for justice. And that is a huge, huge deal to God. And if we call ourselves followers, um, it must be a huge deal to us. It has to be. And then last week, we started to get practical. And we're going to stay practical this week and next week as we talk about what can we actually do to help bring justice. We think about over 20 million people who are in slavery right now in our world. What can we do practically, tangibly? And so we talked about last week, the starting point is prayer. And we get this from Jesus, who says that prayer is a massive deal, says if we cry out for justice, God hears our prayers and God will bring justice. And we spent time last week actually praying in the service uh, for specific parts of our world and specific things that are going on. And so um, today we're going to continue practically. What do we do? How do we help to bring justice in this world around the issue of human trafficking and slavery? And what's going to inform our time this morning is actually words that were spoken 2,500 years ago by a prophet, a prophet named Jeremiah who uh, was part of the nation of Israel, which was God's chosen people for God's plan to bring justice into the world. And um, we find Jeremiah's words in chapter 22, starting in verse one. This is what it says. This is what the Lord says. Go down to the palace of the king of Judah and proclaim this message there. Hear the word of the Lord to you, king of Judah, you who sit on David's throne, you, your officials, and your people who come through these gates. This is what the Lord says. Do what is right and just. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor, the one who has been robbed. Do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place. So what the prophet Jeremiah is reminding King Jehoiakim of is the same thing that all prophets of Jeremiah's time did. You see, the prophets were so closely aligned with God. They were so in tune with God and God's laws and God's ways and God's heart for justice that essentially all the great prophets did one thing. They simply reminded God's people of what they had lost sight of. They simply reminded God's people, hey, our God is a God of justice. And so he's saying to the king here, look, king, you have to protect the vulnerable and the oppressed and the needy. You need to do what's just and what is right. Because apparently the king had lost sight of his role to bring justice for his people. But actually, it's, it's not just that he lost sight of that. It's actually a lot worse than that. Check out what Jeremiah says to the king a few verses later. Verse 13. Woe to him, Jeremiah says. Woe to him who builds his palace by unrighteousness, his upper rooms by injustice, making his own people work for nothing, not paying them for their labor. He says, I will build myself a great palace with spacious upper rooms, so he makes large windows in it, panels it with cedar and decorates it in red. Does it make you a king to have more and more cedar? Did not your father have food and drink? 
He did what was right and just, so all went well with him. He defended the cause of the poor and the needy, and so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord? But your eyes and your heart are set only on dishonest gain, on shedding innocent blood, and on oppression and extortion. So not only is King Jehoiakim not protecting his people from injustice, but he's actually enslaving them to build his palace. And Jeremiah is calling him out. It's no wonder why the prophets were not popular people. And so you might be saying, okay, great. So those words spoken 2,500 years ago, this prophet calling out this king who's enslaving his people, what in the world does this have to do with us in the Washington, D.C. area 2,500 years later? Well, these words actually have a ton to do with us. And I want to show you a video clip. But before I do, what I want to challenge you to do is resist the urge to look at this video through a political lens, okay? We all have kind of our own lenses we, we view things through, and here's the lens that I want you to look at this video through. I want you to look at it through the lens of Jesus Christ. I want you to watch this clip, and I want you to think about how would Jesus respond to this. Let's go ahead and roll it. So the man in that clip said that the promise of globalization is a win-win, that those in richer countries like ours will be able to have goods at a cheaper price, and then the win for the poorer countries is that they'll have jobs, and those jobs will help people to get out of poverty. And certainly that is an ideal, that, that is the goal, that is the win-win. But there's a challenge. There's a real challenge, okay? And for those of you in business, you can understand and appreciate this challenge because the issue is that you have all of these companies and their main goal is they have to satisfy their stakeholders, right? And so they're trying to produce these goods and they have now with the global market, they have access all over the world to suppliers everywhere. And so they are trying to find the best possible quality product at the best possible what? The best price. So assuming that you have a whole bunch of different suppliers in a whole bunch of different uh, countries who can all meet your quality standards, what's going to win? Price. It just does. <laughs> this is the beauty of the free market. The issue is that which countries and which factories and which workers can deliver the best price? Is it the ones with the best working conditions? Is it the ones who pay their people a good wage? Is it the ones who do all the things that they're supposed to be doing that cost money to do? It's not. So the cheapest prices are being able to be met where standards are very low 
and people are treated really, really badly. And in fact, the absolute cheapest of the cheap places that supply, they're not paying their people anything because their people are part of the 20 plus million people in the world who are in slavery and produce those goods for nothing. And for the company, you know, it's ultimately, they've got to find the place where they can find the cheapest clothes, the cheapest coffee beans, the cheapest cocoa, whatever it is. So, the prophet Jeremiah, he's calling out this king, and he's saying, Jehoiakim, you are supposed to be leveraging your influence for justice. You're supposed to be pulling people out of slavery, not putting them in it. You're supposed to do what is just and right. You're supposed to rescue from the hand of the oppressor, the one who's been robbed. You're supposed to do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, and to not shed innocent blood in this place. But instead, what the king is doing is he's using his influence to enslave his own people, to build his own palace. We all have our palaces, don't we? I mean, in the Washington, D.C. area, I don't think any of us would say they're as big as we would like. Um, and uh, for most of us, probably, also, we'd love to be able to own it, but just renting, because can't afford that either. But nonetheless, we all have our palaces, no matter how small or insignificant they may seem. We all have our palaces. And what we buy to put in those palaces we need to realize has a massive impact on people all around the world. I was on a website uh, recently called slaveryfootprint.org, a phenomenal resource. It's this interactive web tool that was um, designed by a company that basically exists to help companies um, have no uh, trafficked people anywhere in their supply chain. And they're working all over the world uh, doing this, and they've been doing it for years and years and years. And so they've kind of figured out all kinds of things about products and human slavery. And so they decided to develop this tool. And basically what you can do is anybody for free can go to slavery footprint.org and it takes you between five and ten minutes you can fill out uh, an, a survey and so you're going page by page and they're asking you all sorts of questions about you do you own or do you rent how old are you do you have kids and then they start going through your your purchasing decisions and the kinds of things that you have in your home and it's it's actually quite detailed it's why it takes uh, several minutes to do but you get all the way through this uh, tool and at the end, you click, and it gives you your results. And so I did this. I have three kids. I'm 40 years old. Uh, I have a house. And um, so I, I plugged everything in, and all the stuff we have in the house and whatever, and I clicked the button. And you know what it said right at the top of the screen? Instant result. It says, 87 slaves work for you. Whew. 87 slaves work for you. So that means that throughout my 
consuming history that I have enslaved 87 people in the helping of making all the goods and things that are in my palace. And that was a huge shot in the stomach for me. Now, you may be saying, well, Derek, man, you got to take it easy on yourself, man. Don't beat yourself up about that because, you know, really, that's not your fault, man. I mean, if there's anybody who, you know, should be the ones who need to be responsible and, and, and it, it, if there's blame to be placed, not that it's a blame game, but you may be saying back to me or thinking back to me right now, there's anybody who needs to step up and, and it's their fault. It's, it's all these companies, right? I mean, it's their suppliers. They're the ones who, that enter into the contracts. Or maybe, maybe they're doing what they should be doing, but maybe it's actually on the other side, on the supply side. Maybe there are companies in very poor countries and they're like putting on a, a, a whole scam and they're presenting all this information. Oh yeah, we do this and we do that. And it's not true. So maybe somewhere along this line, it's a corporate problem. It's not your problem, Derek. I mean, you can't beat yourself up over this. And you know, what I have to say to that is that um, I think that's fine from a legal perspective. Like legally, I know I'm not liable. I know I'm not at fault legally. So it's fine from a legal perspective, but as a follower of Jesus Christ, for me, it's not fine from a Jesus perspective. I have to wrestle with that number. 87 people have been enslaved because of my consuming habits. The reality is, when we think about God's heart, when we realize there are over 2,000 verses of Scripture in the Bible that show us God's heart for those in poverty and those who are facing injustice. When we think about Jesus' ministry, he didn't come for the rich and the powerful. He came for the poor and the oppressed. He came for the people in slavery to set them free. When we think about that, as followers of Jesus, we have to do something. It's not okay to say it's somebody else's problem. Those terrible companies or this, you know, horrible stuff that's going on with these governments or how does this possibly happen? We've got to do something because the reality is demand fuels supply. Our demand for these products fuels the supply of those products. And so one of the things that I've had to wrestle with, and I hope you will too, is that the, the decisions we make every day, those decisions are actually enslaving people. We can't see them. It's like this invisible supply chain. But if we're going to be really real, we are. And we need to do something. So what do we do? What do we do? I want to talk practically about two things that we can do. Very simple things we can do on an almost daily basis and they won't cost us much to do it at all. The first one is buy fair trade products. 
Many of you, you are familiar with fair trade products or the fair trade industry. For those who aren't, let me try and explain what it means when we say fair trade. So a fair trade product that has a fair trade logo or a label like the one that you see, or there's other variations of that, um, basically means that all the way through that product from creation all the way through till it gets into our hands as the end consumer, that people have been treated fairly in its production. That everywhere along the chain, people have been given a fair wage and they have been treated as human beings with dignity. And there's lots of these fair trade products popping up all over the place. Many of them are accessible in the stores where you shop every day. Um, I'll tell you some of the most popular products because you can't find all products fair trade, but you can find these pretty easily in just about every store where there's a decent selection. Coffee, tea, bananas, ice cream, sugar, rice, cocoa, fruit juice, wine, honey, flowers, clothing, and jewelry. So here's the deal. As you're walking around the grocery store, you might notice an odd item or two that is, see that fair trade logo, and you're like, wow, that's cool. And it's probably worth it to you to pay a few more cents to go ahead and take that item to be ensuring that you're not contributing anywhere to fueling the supply of uh, human trafficking and slavery. But if you're like me, you don't necessarily have three hours to spend in a grocery store looking at every fine print label and trying to find everything. As far as I know, there's no fair trade section in any store that I've seen. And so it's not that easy like getting your organic produce, for example. Um, so here's what I would recommend to you just as a start, because you can get all fired up and then you spend three hours in the grocery store, you're going to go crazy. All right? You're never going to do it again. It's just going to be awful. So what I would recommend is you pick one product, one product, and you say, you know what? I'm going all in fair trade on that one product. See other things? Great. One thing. Okay? Here at Grace, our one product is coffee. Okay? We're all in, and actually tea as well, but look, we are all in. We drink a lot more coffee than tea, and we're all in for the coffee here being fair trade at Grace. You can feel good when you drink coffee here, that knowing that everywhere along that supply chain, people have been treated fairly. Uh, there's a company called Equal Exchange that provides our coffee, and it's pretty good coffee at that. And so just encourage you to pick one thing. Maybe it's bananas or ice cream or cocoa or juice or flowers or I don't know what it is, but you can find these things. It's very simple, quite easy to do. Now, in addition to picking one thing, I want to give you one other practical thing that you can do. I want you to pick one store. Pick one store, and I'd like for you to pick your favorite store. That place where you just love to swipe your credit card through. You know what I'm saying? You love to just give them your money because they make you feel so good and you have tons of their products in your palace. And what I want you to do is in that store, I just want you to get curious. Start with a quick Google search, type in the store name, and then type in the words supply chain. See what comes up. Do they publicly list their suppliers? Do you know where their products come from? And I want you, when you're in the store, because you probably know all the people in there by first name, right? I want you to talk to them. And I want you to say, you know what, man? My church did this thing about fair trade. Do we do fair trade in this store? Like, because, you know, we're, I'm like feeling really bad about this whole slavery thing and human trafficking. Like, like, do we publish our supply chain here in this store? Do we know, like, are we sure? Like, 
and just start asking questions, you know? Go on their corporate site and send an email. You may say, Derek, what the heck's difference is that going to make, man? They're selling millions of dollars of product. Let me tell you something, okay? I started in the business world, all right? And here's what all my business education and my business background teaches me. There is one rule in business, and that is the customer is always right. <laughs> always right. The customer is always right. You get an F right there in the front, okay? <laughs> you should do better than that, all right? And here's the deal. When companies stop listening to their customers, they start dying. So it doesn't take but a slow trickle of a few people, maybe just a few of your friends, to start emailing, to start asking questions. That gets noticed. Do you know why organic produce is so on the rise? You know why? Because we're buying it. All of a sudden, like, yeah, I don't want that pesticide sprayed all over my stuff. We buy more and more of it. And when it runs out, we talk to people. We ask them, you guys got any more organic? Guess what? Organic is, is going crazy. Why? Because demand fuels supply. Okay? It just does. It just does. So pick a store, get curious, find out their practices, and then just start asking people. Send an email. You'll be shocked. You will be shocked at the impact. All right, so that's the first one. Buy fair trade. Second one, stop using pornography. A couple of you just woke up, okay? You're like, what, what? Am I in church? What's happening? Where am I? Okay, yes. Stop using pornography. You heard me right. Now, I want to talk about this not from the perspective of the fact that the Bible says that we shouldn't do it. Okay, I don't want to talk about it from that perspective. I don't want to talk about it from the perspective of the fact that it is tremendously degrading and dehumanizing to women. And don't want to talk about porn from the fact of all the research that's been done that shows how much your sexual satisfaction decreases and how it rewires your brain like a true addict, okay? And you can check out all that kind of stuff. Go and look for a couple of TED Talks on it. It will blow your mind. But that's not why I bring it up here. The reason I bring it up is because when we use porn, it fuels the sex trafficking industry. It is fueling sexual slavery. Now, some of you are going, whoa, 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 whoa hold, hold on a second. Like online pornography? Like, this, like, and I'm just in my own home. I'm just looking at a little bit of porn. Like you're saying that's a big deal. Derek, hold on, hold on. I mean, I'm not hurting anybody. I'm in the privacy of my own place. And I mean, these are two consenting adults. They're getting paid to do this. And man, they certainly look like they're enjoying themselves. A little nervous laughter. It's, that was a joke, okay? It's all right. We can lighten up. It's, it's fine, all right? You're saying this isn't hurting anybody. With all due respect, you couldn't be more wrong. You could not be possibly more wrong. I've thought a lot about how I want to try and drive this point home. And I've actually found a video clip that really, really says it better than I could. So let's go ahead and put our eyes on the screen. One of the biggest misperceptions about 
online pornography is that it's not hurting anybody. It's consenting adults. And it's just not true. You know, we think about sexual slavery, okay? And by the way, of the 20 plus million people in slavery, the great majority of them are in sexual slavery. It is literally the biggest reason why slavery happens because there is an almost unquenchable demand. And, you know, you may be here and you may be thinking, you know, yeah, it's, you know, sex slavery and, and you're thinking, yeah, it's, it's these terrible situations where these, these girls and, and sometimes boys and, and women are, you know, they're, they're trapped and they're stuck in brothels and massage parlors and, and cheap hotels and they're, they're on the streets. And when you think about sex trafficking, you think, I never would want to be that person. Like, that's fueling the supply for this. That's not true. I mean, that's a, that's a huge deal. But you know what? That's the, not the most profitable part of the industry. It is actually online pornography. It is cyber sex. And the crazy thing is that as the demand grows and people's appetite for porn changes as they get more into it and it gets more and more perverse and the ages get younger and stuff, what happens is people that are in that industry see it. And so they see where the demand is and guess what? That's where they know they need to supply more and more and more and more. And so look, I'm not here to try and make you feel terrible, okay? I know pornography is so widespread, but it's under this horrible assumption that we have. It's not hurting anybody. Everybody's just happy and willing. It's not true. And you don't have to believe me. Do some research. Look it up. And so... What we can do is we can stop fueling the supply. Our demand fuels the supply in this industry. It just does. It's basic economics 101. Demand always fuels supply. So we can stop clicking. This is what the Lord says. Do what is just and right. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor the one who has been robbed. Do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. And do not shed innocent blood in this place. Let's pray. God, right now we just want to lift up the 20 million plus men, women, boys and girls who are in slavery in this world right now. We pray, God, that you would sustain them as only you can. God, as we did last week, we want to lift up once again all the children who are in slavery on Lake Volta in Ghana. We pray for that rescue operation that is underway. And we pray for the rescue of every single child on that lake. Lord, we want to pray 
for the children of India, those 145,000 children who were sponsored by Compassion International, who lost their sponsorship this past March when Compassion was kicked out by the government. We pray for those children in India who are now going back to extreme poverty. We pray, Lord, that you protect them from the hands of recruiters and traffickers who are gonna lure them to some way that they can feed their brothers and sisters and their parents. Lord, we lift up this massive issue in this world. And we pray, God, that you would bring justice and you would bring freedom. Lord, help us in our palaces. Lord, as we just try and just every day live our lives and go about our daily routine and make purchases, God, um, help us to see what we can do. Help us to just make small decisions that can ensure that people are being treated fairly the way you would have every person to be treated. God, help us to really understand deep in our psyche that demand fuel supply. Lord, for those of us who have just had our whole kind of paradigm shifted with respect to pornography, I pray that we would be convicted. I pray that today, not under guilt or feeling horrible, but that today right now by your grace and by your love, that you would help many of us to decide right now in this moment, to decide we will not click. Because we haven't realized the Annas of this world and what happens to them and how what we do impacts them. Lord, today, no more. And let us not even leave it there, but let us be men and women who are spokespeople for justice. Lord, we pray for your hand to move, but we also pray you'd move in and through us. We thank you for challenging us we thank you for empowering us that we would be your hands and feet in this world today. Let us not walk out of here without doing something about it. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.